The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I'm your host for the show, and we have got such a fascinating, fascinating show for you this week. Uh, Our guest is Mr. Kells Goodman. Kells is the director and producer of the series Hidden in the Heartland, which investigates the Book of Mormon here in the U.S. He is also one of the owners of the LDS Film Festival. We'll talk about all of this as well as his time working on Hollywood movies. And in the My Latter-day Life section, I'll tell you about a friend who I bumped into this week and an amazing experience we had a few years back with the Book of Mormon. So sit back, relax, and here's the show. All right, friends, today on the Latter-day Lives conversation, we are very fortunate to have uh, an incredible filmmaker with us, Mr. Kells Goodman. Kells, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you, Sean. It's great to be here. Oh, we're so glad to have you. Kells, uh, we have a lot to talk about today. Kells is a fixture in the Utah film community. In fact, I'm sort of on the outside of the film community. I know a lot of actors, a lot of directors, and everyone I meet knows you, Kells. Uh, you've been you've been doing film for a long time. You make it sound like I'm a lamp or something. So <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, you're definitely a, a fixture in a good way in the Utah film community. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, uh, where where did you grow up? Well, I was born in Richmond, Virginia. Um, my dad was uh, he grew up in Washington D.C. and so we ended up in in Virginia for about the first ten years of my life, and then we moved down to. Uh, South Padre Island, Texas, Wow, uh, where he, his business kind of took him there and he's an entrepreneur and, and that's where he, uh, started, uh, real estate and condo rental right on the beach. So I'm kind of a beach guy Yeah, and, uh, I love, I'm not as dark as I used to be cause I'm not at the <laughs> beach, but, uh, um, uh, South Padre Island while we lived there, I, uh, I was introduced to Star Wars, of course, like a lot of us filmmakers of sure. our, our day. Uh, that very year we moved to Texas, uh, Star Wars had come out, and uh, and I was 10 years old, and I knew right there what I wanted to do. And so all through my growing up, I you know, went from my regular 8 you know, film camera to my video camera to my Super 8 film camera and and learning the hard way because I had no family or friends in the film business. I just knew I wanted to be in the film business. And so the only way I learned the film business was old looking at magazines of Steven Spielberg and George Lucas looking into a camera. And for a long time, I thought they were the cameramen. Mm. And so I decided to to dive into camera because I saw George Lucas and Spielberg holding the camera. So you thought that the director was the, was cameraman. the camera guy. So for our listeners... <laughs> For our listeners who don't know film, there's yeah. what's called a DP or a director of photography. Director of photography. Usually a separate, yeah, it's usually a separate, you know, the director's the guy that sits on his chair and and then when it's time to, to direct the actors, that's that's their focus is directing the actors. Well, their, their other job is to get all the credit and accolades exactly. while the director of photography, you know, <laughs> does all of the work making sure it all looks so beautiful. So, yeah. So, so you kind of became, uh, you specialized in, in being a DP. Yeah. And yeah. so the technical side is what I really uh, ended up doing because I felt like that was the only way I was going to get it anything done yeah. was to do my own camera work. Yeah, so. that's great. So were you uh, early on, were you raised in the church? I was, I've, yeah, I've always been a member of the church. My uh, uh, mom was a convert, even though uh, we do have family that crossed the plains. There was kind of a break off there. Hmm. So we've, I've got family that oh, interesting. Di- died at Devil's Gate and uh, in uh, Wyoming. Uh, but then after the settlements into Utah, uh, my relatives kind of broke off and went up to Canada and stuff. And, and then, uh, then my mom and grandparents were reintroduced to the church and, oh, great. and came back in. And, and my, my dad, was uh, his parents were were introduced to the church, so we're, I'm I'm like maybe a second generation. How great! So very cool. So you were in you were in uh, Texas. 
Yep. Hanging out down at the beach. You know it. And then what, what, where did you go from there? Well, after, uh, after I graduated from high school, uh, I went on to BYU. Yeah. And uh, went for a year. And then from there, I went and served a mission in uh, Louisiana, uh, yeah. in Baton Rouge. And uh, great place. So I've been, and it's like I've been in the South all my life between Virginia and Texas. Yeah. And then I get, and the mission covered. Uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and I was in every one of those states. And so and I've lived all along that southern uh, part of the United States. Then I went back and, and finished my film degree at BYU. And uh, How was the BYU film program? The, the program was fun. Uh, it was neat. I made a lot of good friends that I'm still friends with today. Um, I will say with love, all the love that I can muster about the program <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> is that I, I encourage young filmmakers to actually uh, get a marketing degree or get some other degree that's similar and not necessarily go get a film degree because they can learn the film on their own, especially today's technology. Oh, very uh, interesting. And so I would, I've encouraged filmmakers to actually go get marketing. I know from my experience, I learned film as a kid. And then as I went to BYU, I was able to hone those skills, but I could have honed those skills by simply working free for people for a few months or even a few years. And there's a lot of that in the film industry. Exactly. The film there's industry, a lot of free there's working. A, there's, there's always people willing to take, uh, to take someone on free. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and so in that case, uh, I, I encourage fil young filmmakers to do that instead, yeah. but then take marketing because most of what they're going to be doing is marketing, whether they're marketing a product they made or whether they're making commercials or whether they're making promotional videos or doing things on YouTube. No, that's great you advice. Know, so, so what was the first, what was the first sort of break you had after you got done? You finished up, you got your degree in film yep. uh, at BYU. What was your, uh, what was your first big break? Well, I started um, all through, I graduated in 92, and around that time, I started working on Hollywood movies that came to Utah. So any Hollywood movies, uh, I did some stuff for the church. You know, I worked on a few seminary things, and, and uh, uh, I even worked on, on the older film that they show in the temple. Uh, 20 some years ago. Wow. That must've been and an amazing experience. That was, that was a real eye opening experience. Yeah. So I'm sure that's why I was so glad when they made new ones, but, uh, yeah. Uh, but then, then I ended up working on touch by an angel and, uh, and I worked on, um, which touch by an angel filmed here for about nine, years, nine years, nine yeah. years. Yeah. yeah. And that was sort of the big, it's funny because everyone I know, actor, <laughs> director, DP, whatever, lighting grip, whatever, everybody, including me, has touched by an angel on their resume. Yeah, you can't impress anybody. With, no. You know, Nobody goes, wow, you touched worked by on Touch by an Angel. That's oh, amazing. Because wow. yeah. everybody in Utah filmed. Which, all, it, all it does is show your age. That's all yeah. it does. I literally got a part uh, in Touch by an Angel. They did a circus episode. And because I juggle and the <laughs> casting director happened to know that I juggled, so I juggled on <laughs> – I'm walking, right walking through doing some juggling. And yeah. you can see it too in the Yeah, final. and I'm actually there, yes. It, That's it goes awesome. right past me. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of big that way. Well um, I, I was on I was on season one uh and I was uh I also worked on Dumb and Dumber just for like a, a couple of days. Yeah. It wasn't I wasn't on the whole show. And then I worked on Species. Oh yeah. And uh, when they came to Twilla, and then I worked on uh a uh, movie with Kathy Bates uh, and Eddie Furlong called mm. Home of Our Own. That yeah, was that, that was in 92 up in Heber. They shot all that up in Heber. So a lot of people don't realize how much film happens in oh, Utah. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Like Dumb and Dumber, when I mentioned to people, uh, the big scene where the dog van gets jumped in the air in slow motion was right around the corner here in Orem uh, <laughs> up by the old uh, Word Perfect buildings. Yeah. So, so talk a little bit about, I mean, you're pretty involved with Utah Film Commission yeah. and uh, talk a little bit about Utah and film. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's a good place. Part of why people like to come to Utah is it's probably uh, 
physically, it geographically, it's the closest to L.A. that has you can drive a couple of hours and you're in a totally different zone. And so it's a nice, diverse state as far as visually. It's also a, a state that really uh, bends with whatever the budget is. You know, if somebody comes and they have only so much money, there'll always be somebody in Utah that will probably work on it. And so in our case, when I worked on uh, these movies, I even worked on Halloween uh, six. And I remember, yeah, I'm real proud of that one. Um, I didn't know there was a Halloween six. <laughs> I think there's, we're up to 10 or 12. I don't know what it is, but, <laughs> but Halloween uh, six, uh, we worked 14 hours, 14 and a half hours a day. And they couldn't do that in LA. No, in LA, that would never fly. That would not fly. So they can walk on us here and we're happy to do it because we're going to be in a Hollywood movie. Woo yeah. You know? And, uh, and so, so it is, it is very fruitful. It's very rich. I actually walked away from the Hollywood, um, uh, lifestyle, so to speak around 96 when, uh, I worked on a movie, um, with Gary Busey and, uh, <laughs> up at strawberry. So you can see where this is going. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, Gary Busey, if anybody knows he's, you know, he's, he can be a pretty rough guy. Yeah. But Gary had, uh, uh, it was a late night. I was actually working for entertainment tonight and the, and the film itself. So I was in a dual role yeah. and we were there all night and, uh, we, uh, uh, we were waiting for getting to get an air interview with Gary. So I set up the interview with Gary with lights and a chair and everything, but we had to go all the way on the other side of, of the lake to do it because they were filming and it was late and they were finally, he shows up in sunglasses and a cigar and a couple of chicks by his side, you know, mm. and we set it all up, but then the producer walked away and it was just me and he comes over and, and he, uh, sees the chair that I set up for him to sit on to do the interview. And he, and he says, and he looks everywhere, but at my face, I notice sometimes some arrogant people do that. They look yeah. everywhere, but at you when you're the one they're supposed to yeah. talk to. And he goes, this isn't my chair. Where's my chair? I can't, I'm not doing this interview without my chair. <laughs> oh my. And finally, finally I said, I said, Gary, you can get your own chair. And I walked off and I was done. That was my last Hollywood movie I ever worked on. I That's just great. I was so sick of this. <laughs> and and not that I hate Hollywood, because I think there's so many good people that work there yeah. and do such good stuff and, and good things. I just know that there is an attitude. Yeah, I hear a lot of the similar things. Yeah. I mean, and and yet the Utah film community is the opposite of that. Correct. Has been my experience, which mm -hmm. I'm much more limited than you are. But especially on commercials and industrial film, which is a lot of what you do. You do yeah. a lot of industrial film, industrial film being like film that corporations use for training or for getting their marketing message out there. Yeah, um, yeah it's, a, it's a much nicer work environment. They're right? funner to work on. Yeah, well, yeah. everybody's on the same mission. Yeah. That's what's so great about it. When you're working on Hollywood stuff, everybody's on different missions because it's all about you. Yeah. But when you're working on something that's corporate and fun and you're all friends and and that's why after that film, after that film, I knew that that point that from somehow, some way I was going to have to start being the boss or at least be in some kind of leadership role because I did not want the kind of attitudes that were coming. Now, maybe they've changed over the years, but I know when I worked on films like Touch by an Angel and Species and stuff, there's always an, an an egotistical attitude that you had to deal with from people who are supposed to be equal. Yeah. They're, they've become, in some cases, some of the most unequal people. Yeah. You know, you can't sure. talk to the celebrities. You can't yeah, sit with them Don't make eye contact. Lunch. Don't talk to yeah. them. Yeah. But, you, but yet, these are people who demand equality, but yeah. but they're totally not equal. Somehow, somehow when I've been uh, the actor or the talent, as they call it, on commercials, they don't treat me that way. <laughs> Somehow they, they tell me in advance, you will get your own chair. And so, yeah, it's, it's a good environment. That's great. So one of the first things that, that kind of, uh, I guess really put your name out there was, will it blend? Will it blend was, 
I mean, huge. Tell us a little bit about what, what, what Willa Blend is and what your involvement was. Well, actually, let me shift gears real yeah. quick. Well, one of the first things I did on a directorial level was was handcart. Oh, handcart was before Willow yeah. Blend. Oh, okay, so, yeah. Let's talk yeah. about so handcart. So we'll just slip into that. Yeah, for sure. But in 2000, the reason why I kind of dove into handcart was uh, in 93, I think, is when Schindler's List had come out. And um, Gerald Mullen came and spoke at BYU. And that's when they, he was really pushing the, the film and the concept of, of Schindler's List. I was very impressed. I had just graduated from BYU, so I came back to watch him speak. And I was very impressed by his demeanor and, and what he was talking about uh, with Schindler's List. But then I kept thinking it during by that time, I felt like Hollywood had, was making a continuous line of movies about the Jewish Holocaust yeah. And, and, you know, something that's happened, you know, overseas and not reverting back to some of our own challenges we've had here in religion and, and freedom. And that's with the Mormons. Sure. And so I felt like, uh, Mormon, uh, uh, information was was being kind of silent. It's like something we're kind of ashamed of, and I thought, or maybe we just think it doesn't have as broad of appeal. Yeah, right? like I I've heard that from other people that the stories of the pioneers they think maybe aren't going to be as universally accepted to make a full film. Correct. So tell us yeah. the story behind Handcart. Well, in '97, I went on this reenactment. Um, they celebrated the 20th anniversary of it this summer. But I went on this uh, sesquicentennial, in, and it's hard to say that word so quickly with a full mouth. Sure, but uh, uh, of the of the Utah of Brigham Young coming into Utah for the first time, uh, they did this reenactment where where these uh, real cowboys and 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 reenactors left Omaha, Nebraska, and traveled three months into Salt Lake Valley, and they they reenacted it, and so I was fortunate to be called to do a TV show where I carried a camera for three months what a cool experience. with this group. And so by the end of that experience, I thought this is oh, this, a movie needs to be made from this. And so I started kind of writing and I worked with a few friends who were writing and my friend, Mark Bowers wrote the script and, uh, but I wrote kind of the story, but he really fleshed it out. And so in 2001, I started raising money and LDS cinema had just kicked in in 2000 you know, with God's army. Yeah. And at the time I thought, okay, well this, there's a market now. Now we can, we can break out and say, we can talk about who we are as LDS people and not be afraid and actually see it on the big screen. So I raised some money. Uh, I self-distributed uh hand card. I produced, uh, we raised about 300,000 and we shot this fairly l- large movie um, for what, for me, at least it was large. Um, we had like 300 extras and, and we shot it over the period of five <laughs> weeks, but we had to divide up the shooting because some of it was in the winter and some of it's in the warmer weather. Yeah. And it's a reenact, it's kind of a, a fictional story surrounded around the, the Martin Handcart company. So what uh, we would call historical fiction. Correct. There were elements of history, but the characters you created correct. were- we're drama. Yeah, that's fiction. right. And so we, we reenacted that really on a minuscule budget because that 300,000 also included distributing it into the theaters. <laughs> and at the time that was not cheap because it was all on 35 millimeter prints, which are about $2,000 each. So yeah. I, I called, wow. I called the theaters myself. I scheduled the date. I made the posters. I made the little trailers that went in front awesome. of them and we put it in 2000, uh, 2002, we put it in, in 50 screens just, you know, over the course of, of six months and, and, uh, you know, did, did okay. You know, it wasn't, I was still new to the, to that whole situation, but it was a, it was a good experience for me. And, uh, um, and now I just remastered the film. And so sometime soon I'm hoping to get it on Amazon and some other places. So yeah, that was my first that's bigger. an awesome experience. That's a big project to take on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty audacious to take on a big project like that. Very cool. Um, so handcart, if somebody wanted to see handcart now, uh, you can't, you so. can't, <laughs> unless <laughs> they, you have an have old to DVD know you. somewhere, yeah. but that's It'd be great say, to get it remastered and get yeah. it out there. Now, now video on demand has changed the Correct. game on everything. 
Well, and I had to make a, I had to get a, uh, um, a high def version. It wasn't in high def. Yeah. And so I was able to, before the labs closed, I was able to get the film, um, remastered. So after Handcart, I moved to Virginia for two years and, um, actually got divorced in Virginia from my first wife and, uh, worked for Southern Virginia university. And mm-hmm. then I also was in the middle of getting a master's, but the whole thing didn't work out because they were changing their program. So after that, I ended up, uh, after my divorce, uh, a miracle came and I got a call for a job with this company called Blendtec. Yeah. And, uh, Blendtec's a Utah company. They make yeah. blenders. Like they're actually one of the, one of the largest for sure of the high end blender, you know, four or $500, $1,000 blenders. Correct. Yeah. They reached, and they reached out to you. Yeah, they they called me mostly because they were looking for a video producer. And 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 most of what their need was at the time, and this is 2005, their need was um, just somebody to produce videos on how to use more training videos on how to use their blenders uh, because 80% of their market was con- was commercial. Yeah, and so we, which nothing more exciting than exactly a blender video. I mean, how exciting! <laughs> wow, you've hit the big time. You know, you know. you're rocking. That's well, that's you, what everybody dreams of is blender videos. Well, you you hit the big time when you actually get insurance and a full time job. Yeah, that's the big time. <laughs> yeah, in the I, film I would business, say, I would say in the film business, everyone <laughs> would agree that that is the dream. If you can get. <laughs> If you can get insurance and a regular paycheck, that's that's as good as film gets. That's right. Sure. If you're patient enough to 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 do those videos, yeah. Um, and so I I went there and we started doing just the you know training videos and stuff. But but we knew marketing. There was almost no marketing. We had a marketing manager, and we had a web guy, but that was it. That we didn't have anything else. And and. Um, so finally we just decided to kind of gutsy up a little bit and we toyed with a few marketing things here and there and, uh, but never really could get anything. And then we were actually on the cusp of, uh, doing an infomercial because the, the Blendtec mm. product is a lot like the little giant ladder. Yeah. And my friend, Doug Fawkes, who owns infomercials, Inc. He, he, uh, did really well with the little giant ladder which is a similar product, yeah. a $400 product that's big and strong and long-lasting. And funny enough, the first commercial I ever wrote was for Doug. Oh, is I that did right? a Yellow Pages ad for Doug. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he needed. He wanted to do a comedy video for uh, Yellow Pages. He came down to Johnny B's Comedy Club oh. and saw me perform. And afterward, he said, hey, can you write comedy also? And so Doug and I actually ended up doing several productions. Together. Oh, very so, talented guy. You know, and I think I shot that commercial. So, oh, yeah, how funny! I wasn't on set for that. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was with Peggy Matheson and Fred Hunting. Oh my I think. gosh, you have a memory like yeah. And so, and I <laughs> that's shot, impressive. Yeah, I so I wrote that commercial. Yeah, I DP'd yeah. that commercial. Yeah, so. how funny! What a small world. That was yeah. a fun commercial. Yeah, so. it's about them going on a date. Yeah. Yeah. That was so that good was times. Really getting flowers or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How funny. So So then so then you come up with this idea. So who came up with the idea for Will It Blend? Well, it was kind of a combination. I would say it's interesting because it's a disagreement, I think, right now, and a friendly disagreement between me and, and the marketing manager. Um and he's a good friend. I, I love him to death. But um we were we were literally fooling around. Uh, the way it really started was uh, the marketing manager saw that um, uh, Tom Dixon, w- who owns the company and who invented the blender and, and is well known for his uh, kitchen mill that he created yeah. that that's really well. The church actually endorses his earlier product, the mill, because it's a grain mill. Yeah. And, he, and he, he, he invented it by using a vacuum cleaner motor. Jeez. And, uh, and, and so the, so he fashioned the product together and, uh, back when he was known as, uh, uh, K-Tech yeah. and, uh, and then he started Blendtec to take advantage of the smoothie market. Yeah. And he was big on just making the best blenders. Tom Dixon really has a lot of heart when it comes to his products. He's a passionate guy. He's very comes passionate. Across. Yeah. And he's a funny guy. He's a funny guy. He's, yeah. He's funny. He's entertaining. He's hilarious. So you guys come up with this idea. And we just, we saw him testing uh, uh, a blender with a two by four 
And we thought, oh, we <laughs> we got to make a video of this and let people see it. And so so that's why his first video was with a rake handle. And uh, and also with marbles, and so to show that they you know they can so blend. So you would you would take these things and you'd say, okay, we're going to test will marbles blend, blend in a yeah. Blendtec blender. You put the marbles in, you put the lid on, and bam, and then you record the whole thing. Yeah. Now YouTube was not what YouTube is today. Well, what's funny For is sure. we had never even heard of YouTube. I had never heard of it. In <laughs> fact, Tom Dixon will go around and joke around and say, uh, "WhoTube," you know, yeah. and and uh, so we had never heard of it. But I went ahead and produced a few videos. You know, our first six, we did six in one day. I mean, we shot uh, rake handles, um, marbles, uh, a whole big Mac meal. Um, you know, credit cards. So you it's know, as random as it can be. It was just random crap. Will it blend? And and will it blend? At first, was not comedy. It was just us fooling around. But yeah. I would add, I would add this funny music to it and cut it. You know, I wrote every word. I would, yeah. I edited every piece. What was the first big one that like got people's attention? The one that got really big was the iPhone. No, now I'm sorry. that was the first one I saw was the iPhone. Yeah, actually the iPod. Oh, iPod. Maybe that was the one yeah, I saw. That was... And I think that the reason that had such a visceral reaction from me was do not blend an iPod. I mean, you couldn't get your hands on an iPod. Yeah. They were sold out everywhere <laughs> and you guys are blending it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you, stick, powder, no you stick the Apple name to it. Yeah. And, and what that's what's so amazing. We went from the iPod. The iPod is actually what got us on the Today Show. I mean, we, we yeah. our first one was like November 2nd, I remember, was the first Will It Blend episode. And then by November 22nd, we were on the Today Show. That is amazing. And it became a, I mean, it was a phenomenon. Yeah. It like was, it, people we, were sending in ideas, Will It Blend. How, yeah. many, how many views did the iPod or iPhone one get? Do you know? See, the iPhone, I think I'm guessing here, I know it's in the teens as far as millions. Yeah. And so, uh, to watch, to watch a blender video, I mean, it just shows back to what you were talking about, about the importance of knowing marketing, Yeah, you know, that you could take a blender video. If you were to tell anybody, Hey, check out this video of a blender. Yeah. And yet you've got millions upon millions of views on it. Yeah. We, we probably, we, we produced about over a hundred videos and over that hundred videos, we, uh, we garnered about a half a billion views that is and, unbelievable uh, and so and some were hits and some were misses you know yeah. we were we were just feeding the the coffer but we you know our biggest hits were any apple product yeah were our biggest hits and then we blended chuck norris once you know when the chuck norris <laughs> thing was big and we got a lot of hits on that um uh, Bic lighters, and those are all still up on yeah. on YouTube. You can see the whole series. Bic lighters is a big one because it, it caused the whole jar to explode. Oh no way! I yeah. haven't seen that one. That's so great. Yeah, that's that's one we we love. And so, so tell us about the transition now into your most recent project, which okay. is Hidden in the Heartland. I want to make sure we've got enough time to really talk got Hidden it. in the Heartland. Understood. Yeah. Um, well, uh, Will It Blend was kind of dying down, and. Uh, I worked at I worked at Blendtec for about eight years, nine years almost, and finally, uh, I kind of got an opportunity to kind of break away from Blendtec, so I took it. And uh, while I did that, I had a lot of time on my hands, and that's when I ran into uh, a friend of a guy I became friends with named Rod Meldrum, and Rod Meldrum uh, had this research where he was focused on the Book of Mormon being in North America. Um, and for me, I really at first was confused because I always thought it was in North America. Um, and so, so I went ahead and, uh, did a lot. We, Stephanie, my sweet wife, Stephanie and I just spent a lot of time traveling, visiting, talking to people, getting let's to ta- know Let's people. take a quick break and bring Stephanie into this. Got uh, it. When did you meet Stephanie? Okay. Stephanie, I met because her. Because when we last left the story, you were I was divorced. divorced and coming out of Virginia. But, oh, I and appreciate now, that. And now Stephanie gets brought into this. That's and right. And let's, let's talk about it as if Stephanie's not sitting here in the room with us, which okay. she is. That's right. We won't say. <laughs> yes. Um, she, uh, uh, Stephanie and I met after I worked about a year at Blendtec. Okay, great. And so, and then right before Will at Blend started, I met Stephanie so I kind of give a lot of my success to Stephanie because it was after I met Stephanie that Will It Blend kicked in. Awesome. So, 
All of us give all the credit to Stephanie, too. Of course. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's my, you know, we, we both combine families. And so blending families is one of the toughest things to do. Yeah. And uh, so Stephanie and I spent some time traveling, uh, visiting with, um, uh, we, we toured with Rod on one of his tours, and then we asked a lot of questions. So so to set, the, kind of to set the stage for yeah. people, there are kind of two prevailing schools of thought. One is Correct. the Book of Mormon takes place. And everything you're reading, once uh, uh, Lehi and Nephi and their family arrive to the promised land, that it all takes place in the Americas Correct. and uh, or in the United States yeah. of America, that it takes place in the center of the country or in the east or whatever. It's in the U.S. There's another school of thought that is, okay, it all took place in Central America or even South America, but Central America and then that when uh, Mormon – goes north that he comes north to the u.s and there are people who are passionate about both and the church doesn't take any type of stand as to where this all takes place you you set that stage correct i think the uh the overall thought i know at least for me from what i remember like i said for me it was north america but i also know that I never really did the research, so I could never really make a stand. But I know when you look at all the materials, when you look at all the Arnold Freeberg paintings and all, you know, our imagination all goes to Central America. Yeah. And and one of the, the problems with that is that um, is that basically Central America has all these beautiful cities that still exist that were never like really torn down. And because they were discovered in the mid 1800s, uh, a lot of that helped in in fueling the uh, the evidence for the Book of Mormon. Because you got to think about it. And in 1920, Joseph Smith receives his first vision. By 1930, he has, 1820. I'm sorry, 1820. Thank you. By 18. 18- 30, he has this book called the Book of Mormon that he's handing out yeah. to people, organizes the church, and is getting a lot of uh, heat from a lot of other religions. And and the whole notion of Joseph telling people that uh, the Book of Mormon are a descendant, uh, is a record of the descendants of these natives, and everybody's looking at the Native American at the time, and they're not very well liked at the time. And this, you mean these people? Yeah. You mean that drunken Indian over there? That's what this book is that about? That was the prevailing attitude. That's the prevailing I mean, attitude. A, there was a horrible racism against yeah. Native Americans in the U.S. Yeah. And I think... To fulfill manifest destiny. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what people thought. And so there was... I think that it was easier for people certainly to... You know, I always grew up thinking that, oh, it was somewhere in Central America. I yeah. mean, that was my... Well, to and me, that was always what, what I had thought. Well, the Central American idea actually really started to kick in. Um, there's two two trains where they think, and in Hidden in the Heartland, in our TV show that we've done, uh, we talk about um, Benjamin Winchester and his his beginnings of, of feeding that idea because that's right when these books came out about Central America about you know these 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 volumes came right. out of travels to Central America discovering these beautiful cities that exist that do uh you know that do have a romanticism about them and so obviously because they were popular it was natural to put those together I'll give you a, a likeness in today's world uh when uh Star Wars had come out a lot of people thought that Yoda was taken after Spencer yeah. W. Kimball. Yeah. We all want to wish that, don't we? We right. all want that to be. Because happy, it's exciting. Because it's exciting. You think, oh, it's the force. It's the priesthood. Of course, that's Spencer W. Kimball. But when you watch the behind the scenes, yeah. it's not. It's it's after Einstein and some other you know, faces. So I grew up, I grew up hearing that mm-hmm. and thinking that this was a fact. And then I I actually hosted a DVD that we did with Covenant called Mormon Mythelaneous that was kind of Mythbusters for Mormons. Oh yes, and mm. so I was the the host and I wrote the in between sections, and I was crushed when I hosted <laughs> that section. They were like, "Okay, here's here's the, the the scene," and we find out it's not, and we actually talked to one of the animators. Of Yoda, and I was crushed. I was yeah. like, "Well, what do you mean? It has to be." But you see, I'd known that for, as a kid because I watched all the documentaries, right, right. and then I go to BYU, 
and I take a journalism class and some guy, the, the teacher gets up and says, well, we all know that Yoda was taken after. <laughs> I said, and I stood up and I said, no, it didn't. And you, you didn't get kicked out of BYU. And I didn't get kicked out, That's barely. Awesome. But I, so, <laughs> well, so because because we took a popular modern day thing and yeah. merged it with our faith, in my opinion, that's similar to Benjamin Winchester taking this popular book about Central America and trying to marry it. And it's and there's there's no evidence whatsoever of Joseph Smith ever saying that Central America is where the Book of now, Mormon happened. So Hidden in the Heartland sort of explores the what if and what Correct. evidence is there of it taking place in the United States. And Correct. you actually travel. So a little bit, I, I having seen the episodes, uh, I'll tell you my perspective on it that I find it so fascinating, is there is so much interesting information um, that that talks about, uh, you know, sort of the artifacts that have been found, mm-hmm. some of the things that Joseph Smith said, that things that I hadn't heard before, but now are are becoming more substantiated. My, my take on it is I feel like for a while, and, and maybe maybe this was just something that members had, because I don't know of anything that came from the church on this, where it was like, well, let's not think about those things too much. Yeah. Let's not talk about it too much. But the Book of Mormon is not an allegory. Correct. It's a history. That's right. And so this is doing some research and saying, you know, what if? I'll tell you one of my favorite things about Hidden in the Heartland, which is it's a series you did. How many episodes is it? Uh, there's seven. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Okay. So seven episodes. Uh, across the seven episodes, uh, one of the interesting things to me is I kept looking for uh, sort of a here's our hypothesis that it did happen in America, you know? Yeah, but it's not there. Uh, What I what I got out of Hidden in the Heartland is there's great evidence that there is, and yet you have a lot of interviews with people who say no, it is Central America, and you kind of bring all this in. It's an amazing show. One of the other things that's great is it's not just documentary. You brought in some really high powered actors. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we we tried to because my background is drama. You know, doing drama documentary is not something I figured I was going to be getting into, but I knew this was the only way we could tell the stories of, of North America and pre-Columbian North America um, and the mysteries behind it. And so I figured it was good to at least do some, a little bit of reenact because I paid for the show. I did a Kickstarter and raised some money, but I ended up paying for the bulk of the show. And, and so I could only afford like a, a two minute reenactment at the beginning of each episode because I couldn't afford them to act throughout the whole whole show. So it's two minute reenactment and then we have a little opener and then we do uh we interview people. And what's neat about our show is we we try to be as objective like you said as yeah, we can. It's a very objective show. And we and we also have probably half of the people we interview are not even Mormons. So they don't have any skin in the game. And that's who I prefer. They're just giving history. They're just giving history. I, that, I found that the most interesting. That's that's who I prefer to interview. I mean, I, I don't mind a Mormon researcher coming right. on and saying something, but then I like to back it up with somebody who doesn't have any skin in the game. So I'll tell you one thing. that that Hidden in the Heartland is addicting. So we stayed up. My wife and I were watching it the other night. We decided to watch one episode. I had gotten up to episode five, I think, or four, <laughs> and I was telling her about it. And, and then I said, well, let's watch one episode before we go to bed. We were four episodes in and it was midnight. Oh, sweet. And, you know, Binging on my show. Yes. We were binge watching the show <laughs> and we were both like passing out, but it's so interesting. And voiceover is done by Scott Christopher, yep. who is coming on the show. Uh, Good. Here in a few weeks. One of the most talented guys. Yeah, His is. voice is so, it, 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 in, in between it says something like if you peel back the layers of you know, the middle America or whatever, you might yeah. just find the Book of Mormon. I don't know what it is about the way Scott talks, but I have to see what's next. You know, <laughs> it's a really exciting show. Oh, well, thank if, you. If people want to see uh, Hidden in the Heartland, yep. your show, uh, how can people find it? Well, you can actually go to hiddeninheartland.com and you can, that's like a portal where you can go either way. And from there, you can go to Amazon and you can buy it on demand. Or you can, you know, per episode or the whole series, uh, or you can buy the DVD. It is available at uh, Deseret Book 
and uh, and it is available at Siegel Book, so they've they've accepted it, and uh, um, and I think that's the only place you can get it right now. I'm actually speaking in a month. Um, I know this podcast, you know, is eternal, but but I am speaking September fifteenth at the Sandy Center uh, at four o'clock here in, in Utah. In Utah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, what are you speaking on? Uh, I'm actually going to be talking about season two of Hidden in the Heartland. Excellent, and, and some of the things there. And the the interesting here's the here's the quickie take that I've got on Hidden in the Heartland and on the research, and that is this. It's my personal opinion that I have no doubt that Christ came to America. Uh, I also have no doubt that there were people in Central America and that Christ actually probably went to Central America too. It's scriptural. And and that there were people that were there that had prophets and had, you know, uh, you know, that had the same experiences as the Book of Mormon. I have no doubt the evidence yeah. is there that there were a people there as well. My number one question is, where's the Hill Cumorah? Yeah. And, and a lot of people have this notion, like we had kind of mentioned before, that everything happened in Central America and everybody died. And then Moroni huffed the plates 3,000 miles and went up to, to New York and said, hey, here's a nice hill right here. Let's bury him here. And that was it. And the problem with that story for me is that um, is that Hill Cumorah, what a lot of people don't realize, was in the middle of all of the stories of the Book of Mormon. It was not a place that was far away from Zarahemla and, and Lehi and all these other cities. It was actually close by. He, he, there was going back and forth between this hill and the other cities. And so to make it look like it was far away and that there was nomading going on and all this kind of stuff is not true. You know, they built these cities and lived there, and then they killed themselves off, you know, through... It's it's interesting when I was watching, um, there's the there's a guy who says, I'm a one Kimura guy. Correct. And he is absolutely... And so when I was watching it, and I'm easily influenced, I went, yes, <laughs> that's it. But then you immediately cut to another yeah. guy who says, no, that's not the Hill Kimura. Correct. And it's in Central America. And yeah. it presents... I really highly recommend everybody go watch Hidden in the Heartland because if nothing else, I don't know that it has made me, I mean, I didn't do all the research. Um, and, and I also, I want to talk to you about what is the role of this too, because yeah. it kept my mind spinning, but I, I listened to an interview recently with some guys who BYU has a project mapping the Book of Mormon. Yeah. That's a church sponsored, you know, um, interactive map where you can go through and they're not trying to say where it is exactly geographically, more like it allows you to see what the map would have looked like based on all the data that we have. One of the things they said that was interesting was they said, look, if you are basing your testimony of the Book of Mormon yeah. on was it Central America, was it here, did this, was it this river, or this lake or whatever, you've missed the point of the Book of Mormon. Yeah. That the Book of Mormon is a true book and you need to have that spiritual testimony. But if you have no curiosity whatsoever about these things – uh, what, what's your take on the mix between the the testimony and the spiritual part of it versus what what you present in in, in the heartland? That's a that's a good question. Um, I think that it is not vital to know where everything happened. It's that your first and foremost is your relationship with God and your service and your study of the Book of Mormon. Uh, and 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 the elements therein, such as uh, the studying of um, your relationship with Christ and things, that's that's that is paramount to this other stuff. That's not that. It, it, honestly, what I'm doing is not that important. But here's why I'm doing it. But it's fascinating too. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's, it's fascinating. It's so interesting. But the one thing to do realize is that today. We are in a world when you look at, you know, the social media and, uh, and the church and the challenges we're having today right now. Um, I am having good effect on people who, uh, who've either left the church. In fact, I write this, the episodes for directly for people who've left the church, who, who question the church and stuff like that, that before they walk out that door, give them a little something to think about. That's uh, great. Yeah, they may not come back to the church, and that's okay, because it's not for me to tell them that. Right. But it's just 
we're in a we're in a prove it to me world today, yeah. and because we're in a prove it to me world, I feel like it's an obligation to at least say here's something to think about before you walk out that door. And uh, awesome, that is know. such a great way to look at it. I I'll tell you what it did for me watching it was to reinforce that the Book of Mormon happened. Exactly. Yeah. That it happened, that Nephi was a person, that Moroni well, was a person. And here's here's another thing to think about, okay? The church has spent money in Israel, and, and other faiths have, have spent money in Israel denoting where Christ walked and where the apostles taught. And in America, the church has spent money uh, in, in a, a place where the pioneers died, you yeah. know, and and then they bought. Then they even spent money building a memorial to Hill Cumorah itself, right. and and so obviously there is a desire to take yeah. locations that we know really happened, and and memorialize them to a point to where we can we can visualize when we're reading. Oh, this is where this happened. You know, this yeah. is where Joseph Smith. This is where Moroni. This is where. You know, it gives us a little bit of a visualization. Well, I, I, I'm going to put my full endorsement on Hidden in the Heartland. It is, <laughs> And I'm not that guy. I don't normally enjoy that type of a show. My wife is very into that kind of stuff normally. But I have been riveted, and it's been on my mind, and it's it's awesome. Well, and the, and the check's in the mail, Sean. Yes. Thanks, man. I appreciate that uh, endorsement. And, by the way, I paid for it on Amazon Video. So this was a <laughs> this is a, a non-paid-for endorsement. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and, okay. and finish up with uh, the LDS Film Festival. Oh, yeah. Because this is really exciting. I think one of the things I appreciate about you, Kels, and what you and Stephanie are doing is that you know, you're taking uh, what your passion is, which is film, and applying it to building the kingdom. And yeah. the LDS Film Festival is one of the great, uh, great examples of that. Tell us a little bit about the LDS Film Festival. Well, uh, the festival was started with uh, Christian Vuisa, who uh, we all know. He produced a number of the LDS movies. Sure. And uh, he's a good friend of mine. I love him to death. And he was a BYU student. And uh, around 2000, when LDS Cinema began, he started a festival, and it uh, it began. I didn't go to the very first year. I think I went to the second year when they had it at the Provo Library upstairs. Um, and now it's on its 17th year. And I, uh, over the last decade or so, it's been at the Sierra Theater. And when Stephanie and I first uh, got married, we bought a home right by the Sierra Theater. And that's kind of my older neighborhood anyway when I was married the first time. So I'm very familiar with it. Uh, and the Sierra has always had a place in my heart. Yeah, beautiful As, theater in Orem, Utah. Yeah, beautiful theater. I premiered Handcart there and I premiered other movies. And uh, and so when Christian, when I saw the festival, I started going. And then and then eventually I ended up becoming like a sponsorship uh the guy getting sponsors and and helping him out, organizing, making it yeah. look good. So for about nine years, I worked the festival, and then this year, uh, uh, the last few years, Christian moved back to Austria, and it was very difficult for him to run the festival. And I made an offer to him that why don't we? Why don't I just take it over? So now you and Stephanie own. So me and Stephanie are film buying. Festival. Yeah, we're still yeah. paying for it, but it's yeah. it won't but it's take, your festival. But it's our festival essentially. So, so the film the film festival highlights major films that have come out. Correct. But then also there's an opportunity for young aspiring LDS filmmakers yep. to get involved. Tell them how uh, how if you're a young filmmaker how you can get involved. Well, there's several ways. Yeah, we do we feature the bigger films uh, and we try to premiere them too. We premiered Cokeville Miracle and Freetown. Um, but we also have uh, some cool uh, what do you call them categories that you can go in. There's a family the last few years, uh, the um, Samuel K. Smith is it K. Smith? Oh, I feel terrible. Samuel Smith Foundation, who focuses on family history, encouraged families to make their own film. How fun! So, so we do a family film competition, and then we do the twenty-four hour competition, which is really hilarious. So explain the 24-hour film festival, because the 24-hour the film competition, anyone can get involved. This oh, is yeah. not this is not something that is just for, hey, I'm a filmmaker, I have all this equipment, whatever. Yeah. I think there's been a democratization of film with the advent of the iPad and with 
with uh, phones and everything you can do now. Tell us yeah. about the 24-hour. Well, two, two weeks before the festival, and the festival is every year the first week in March, and it used to be three and a half days. We just moved it up to five and a half days because awesome. it's a lot. But two weeks before, uh, we uh, do a thing. On, it's now almost all online. We used to meet at the Sierra Theater, and we would get what we do is we give uh, groups of five a uh, a theme and a prop and a line of dialogue. And, and you know, like, uh, like for example, it would be a mirror and the theme would be, uh, you know, compassion or whatever. And, uh, and a line of dialogue would be like, uh, uh, what are you doing to me? Dot, 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 or something. Yeah. Or just something where as long as you have those lines in there, you have to have all those things in there. You have to have all those things in there. There's going to be no more than five people and you sign up and you pay the fee and that fee goes to the award money and uh, and you sign up five people and you have 24 hours. So once you get those things, once those things From are emailed to you, from the minute you get you, them, you got 24, 24 hours, hours to make the movie, to edit shoot it, it, write it, yeah, and done. get it done and uh, and then turn it in, you know, via online cuz now everything we can just yeah, do sure. it online. And uh, back in the day it was all VHS tapes, yeah. which was awesome. And uh, and then and then during the week of the festival, we show all those movies. That's and so fun. So you get a chance to actually be an award-winning filmmaker in 24 hours. Yeah, so. and this this is this invitation goes out to everyone. This is not yeah. just for if you don't consider yourself a filmmaker. You could be a family. You could be a group of friends. Yeah. I highly recommend getting involved. Where do they go to find out a little bit more about the LDS Film Festival? You can go to ldsfilmfest.com. Yeah. And and we we do have ldsfilmfestival.org, but we're in the middle of transitioning. But if you go to ldsfilmfest.com, and then people can also show up and check out the screenings. And yep. please come. We 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 want a lot of public this year yeah. to come. We've readjusted the festival this year so it's more public friendly. So it's not just a it's not just the film film community. And you'll meet the amazing LDS, and you have. Question and answer times with, with filmmakers. And if you have any interest in great film, it's a great place to be. And some of us will be doing our podcasts from. That's right. The we're a, we're LDS allowing. Film Festival we're actually year. got a desk that we're going to have out in the hallway all day, you know, during the whole week. And you can actually schedule a time free and and go and podcast as long as you and we'll even give you passes as long as you're saying you know i'm here at the lds yeah. film festival dot 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 so yeah well, we're we'd excited be happy for to that. Do that so well that's great well look we are we are uh i've taken up enough of your time i guess because we're taking well enough into, of your we're, time we're well <laughs> into time this has been so fascinating and you're what you guys are doing is just amazing so everybody check out hidden in the heartland um, by the way, if you want any of these things, the LDS Film Festival handcart hidden in the heartland, uh, we now have show notes on our website on latterdaylives.com. Uh, so you can, you'll be able to go in and there will be links to all the things, everything that we talked about. There will be a link for all of it. Uh, closing, I always ask our guests, what does being a member of the church mean to you, Kells? Well, um, you know, the church itself is a place for for each of us to receive our ordinances of salvation and uh, um, but I think for me the church is also has to be a personal deep seated uh, faith that you receive uh, it's important for each of us to receive a testimony and so and then with that testimony we learn to serve which I think is a big part of our church is to serve to love. And one of the talks I remember hearing was saying that the two most important things you could ever do on this earth is to uh, repent and to forgive. And when you've done those two, everything else can fall into place. That's awesome. Well, Kels, you and Stephanie are such an amazing example for so many out there. And everything, what I love is this idea right now that we need to flood the earth uh, with the gospel and between the LDS Film Festival and all you're doing there, hidden in the heartland, films like Handcart, you guys are just an awesome example of living the gospel, flooding the earth with it, and not to mention just fascinating, fun people. Thank you so much for all you do, and thank you for coming on the show today. We appreciate it. Well, you as well, Sean. You're doing it good. What a great conversation with uh, my friend Kells. 
he and his wife, Stephanie, are just two of the best people I know, and I so appreciate him being willing to come on and talk about all these things. And again, if you want to know more about uh, the LDS Film Festival, uh, more about Hidden in the Heartland, about all these things, we will have links to them on latterdaylives.com. This week in uh, my Latter-day life, I had a cool experience. I bumped into an old dear friend of mine, uh, Adele Parker. She is just one of those great, great people. I got to know Adele when she was working for the UVU, that's the uh, Utah Valley University Bookstore. I work in consumer electronics in sales, and I'd gotten to know Adele when she was she was buying electronics. She used to buy our products. And uh, she actually now works for the church in a really cool capacity. She works uh, on pageants, and so she's literally traveled all over the world working on pageants uh, as a coordinator. That's just incredibly cool. I hadn't seen Adele for a while, and uh, earlier this week I went out to lunch with some customers, and there she was. I bumped into her, and so, so fun to see her. She's just a great soul. And we reminisced about something that had happened years ago, and it's been on my mind as Kells was talking about the Book of Mormon and just the power of it. Um, Years ago, Adele came to me, and she had a distributor and uh, someone who used to sell to her. And uh, the sales rep from that distributor had become a good friend of hers. She came to me and said, Sean, I want to send him a Book of Mormon. Now, this, uh, this company that the guy worked for uh, it was based out in Pennsylvania. And so she was going to mail it out to him. And she said, I am so nervous. I'm so scared. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to say. So we kind of talked it through. And I so admired her willingness to get the Book of Mormon out there. And she said, okay, I'm going to go home, pray about it. I'll write uh, my testimony in it and I'll send it off to him. Well, to be honest, I kind of just forgot about it and great. And I moved on with my life. And a few weeks later, I happened to be out there uh, at this company because they sold our products. They distributed our products to the college bookstores, like the one she worked at. And I was walking around the floor. It's quite a large company. And uh, walking around uh, the uh, the sales floor there, there were hundreds of salespeople there. And as I walked around, I happened to stop at uh, the the desk of this particular sales rep that she was sending the Book of Mormon to talked to him for a minute, turned around to talk to somebody else. And right then the mail cart was pushing past me. And the person pushing the mail cart said, Hey, Joe, you got a package. And Joe said, What is this package? What is this? And he opened it up. And he said, No way, this is from Adele. And I thought there is no way. Here I'm (laughs) weeks later, and I'm, I'm at his desk for five, 10 minutes tops. And I turned around and he opened it up and he said, Wow, it's a book. And he said, it's a, it's a Book of Mormon. And he turned to me, he goes, Sean, you're Mormon. And I said, yeah, I am. And everyone knows that we're Mormon. And he said, this is so cool. And so I took some time and walked him through a little bit about the witnesses and what the Book of Mormon is and who, who uh, wrote it and what it's a story of. And he just said, oh, I cannot believe Adele sent me this. What a gift. What a treasure. She is so awesome. And I, of course, then when we were done, walked outside and called Adele and said, you are not going to believe what just happened. And it was so spiritual and the spirit was so strong as she had prayed and prayed because she was nervous about sending out this book. And I so appreciated her good example to me. And it was fun to bump into her again this week. She's just a great soul. Uh, The Book of Mormon has power. That's just the truth of the matter. It's a powerful book. And uh, if we will flood the world with it, uh, boy, it's it's going to do amazing things. And so I think what we need to do is give up our, our doubts, give up our fears, and just get it out there and trust that the Lord will make the rest of it work. Um, again, as I've been watching Hidden in the Heartland, so fascinating. Uh, sometimes it's hard to remember. The Book of Mormon's real. Those were real people who went through these experiences. And uh, I just, just love that Book of Mormon. And that's it for the show this week. Folks, as always, we so appreciate you listening. Uh, our, our listenership is growing every week. If I could ask a favor, uh, wherever you listen to this podcast, if you could go in and give us a review. We love the full number of stars, uh, but if not, whatever you think honestly. Uh, so far on iTunes, we're five stars out of five across all of our reviews. We appreciate that. 
We just appreciate reviews because that's what gets us uh, more easily found on all of the uh, all the search engines on the different podcast apps. So uh, if you could give us a review, we'd appreciate it. The other thing is, if you know someone who enjoys good, uplifting conversation and you could share it with them, that's another way that we grow. And we, we again, we, we can't believe how many people are listening to this podcast. We so appreciate it. The Latter-day Lives podcast is available on iTunes, uh, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast. Uh, for all the show notes, go to latterdaylives.com. And if you want to reach out, I love hearing from our listeners. I can be reached at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at latterdaylives.com. I love to hear suggestions of guests that you would like to see on the show, things you love or things that you don't like about us. That's okay. That helps us make us better. So feel free to email us. On Twitter, we are Latterday underscore lives. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Latterday Lives podcast. So again, folks, we really appreciate it. Have a wonderful week. And until next time, remember, there's a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening.